Good morning, everybody. Um, welcome back to this fantastic venue. Uh, so good to see everyone here. We've got a, a really strong program this morning. Uh, we're really excited about uh, our next three guests who are and living on the spectrum and have authentic voices about their experience and the, their lives and the businesses that they have developed um, on the spectrum. So I'm really excited uh, to, to share that with you. And, and to kick us off this morning, um, I'd like to introduce, if you do, a quick question here. Who, has anybody actually watched Love on the Spectrum? Yeah, okay, good. So, so these guys, to many of you, don't need an introduction because it's probably one of the bravest things I've seen in terms of you know, going on a dating experience um, in front of an audience and then coming home and discussing it with your parents, I think uh, is, is extraordinarily brave. And so thank you for being here. So, but Danny isn't just a, a star in terms of um, her courage on the big screen. She's also the CEO, as you probably know, of uh, Danimation, and which is an animation um, uh, organization uh, for helping children with, with, with autism. And obviously Jennifer Cook, and if you look in front of you, you'll see one of her, of her many uh, career, uh, authored books, uh, Autism and Heals, which you may be already aware of. So and that's yours to, to take home with you. Right, welcome, ladies, to... Thank uh, you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Liam. Thank you so much, Liam. It's a pleasure. Well, Danny, I'm going to ask you the first question, really. Um, you know, we obviously had a fantastic experience. Uh, Experience yesterday about um, uh, our stories. What's what's your story of living with autism, and, and can you share some of the lessons that you've learned along the way? And what are the what are the reasons you had for participating on Love on the Spectrum? All right, I'll break this down for this three part question. Okay. <clears throat> Before I was diagnosed with autism, uh, my um, my family knew there was something um, different about me. I wasn't speaking and I was doing repetitive uh, movements. Um, because I had a disability and behavioral issues, they used to allow me to watch cartoons. At age five, um, when I got diagnosed, the professionals told my family if they continue to pacify me, I may never speak, make friends, or amount to anything. After that, everything has changed. My family stopped allowing me to watch cartoons unless I used words. It was a struggle, but I finally started speaking at age six. Looking back at my experiences, I realized there were good and bad sides of autism. It can be a blessing and a curse. For example, my autism fostered a lot of creativity and I have developed my love for animation. However, Sometimes it inhibits my ability to pay attention to classwork assignments. Every time I misbehaved in school for not paying attention or not doing assignments right, I felt like a failure, but I learned from my mistakes. I learned if, if I want to get rewards, then I have to follow the, um, the class assignments and teacher's rules without slacking off. Same applies to real life. Yep, I was motivated by reward. A lot of us are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Looking back, I didn't understand why I was put into special ed or that I have autism. When I was 11, I moved in with my aunt and uncle. 
When my aunt first told me that I have autism, I was shocked. I thought it was a disease that was curable, but she told me it was something that I am born with. So I learned to mold my autistic habits and to fit into societal norms while growing up. For example, I needed to learn how to do social skills, use active listening, prioritize my deadlines, make, mark things down in my calendars, and take opportunities that, I, that would benefit my full-time career of teaching animation to youth on the autism spectrum. That was also at the same time when I had the idea of my animation company, and that's when my aunt and uncle helped me launch my company, Deanimation Entertainment, at age 14. After the professionals told my family I would never finish school and not expect much from me because I may never amount to anything. I graduated high school with a 4.0 GPA, a BFA. That was in 2013. And a BFA in 2018 and an MBA in global strategy and leadership. My BFA is into animation. So now I am pursuing a PhD in positive developmental psychology, but I am taking a couple of years off to grow my animation company, Deanimation. So yeah, always presume competence. So now I have some most important lessons that I've learned. So the most important lessons I have learned through my journey are, number one, autism is not an excuse. Just because I have autism doesn't mean I cannot achieve my goals. Two, it's okay to ask for help. Nope, nobody works alone. I don't, don't every, I don't do everything alone. I have a team behind me that helps me with my company, my life skills, helping me reach my dreams, and learn to work on my purpose in life because everyone needs a purpose, autistic or neurotypical, rich or poor. And number three, I discovered my purpose was pursuing what I wanted out of life. I thought... I wasn't going, I wasn't, I wanted to, <clears throat> I thought I wanted my own animation company, but in university, I realized it wasn't going to be easy. But for a person with a disability like me, opportunities are limited. I discovered that my purpose was to help my autism community turn their passion into a career, whether it's film, sports, culinary arts, news, or animation, because I know it's not easy. And to find my purpose, I had to get out of my comfort zone and challenge myself, apply, my, apply what I learned, because I know it's not easy for us to be taken seriously. Number five, that doesn't mean we don't ever fail because everyone fails at one point or another. Failure may feel dreadful or catastrophic, but it's never the end of the world. Perseverance is the key to keep moving forward. And most importantly, I do my best to take advantage of many networking opportunities to help grow my to help my company grow and to fulfill my purpose. Okay, so the reason why I wanted to be on Love in the Spectrum, if you have seen the YouTube video <laughs> of me kissing many frogs, <laughs> due to my busy schedule with my, comp with my animation company, it was difficult for me to find the right time to go on the date. Number two is, because the guys I met on or off the spectrum always say they could handle me being busy, but then they realize, oh yeah, she's really busy. I don't have time to quote unquote hang out. The only time I have free is when I am doing something that relates to animation to help with my company. 
with my, sorry, I mean with my autism community, like going to animation events, the screenings, the conventions, and so on. And if the guy that I met, that I meet, is not interested in animation or the autism community, then it's really difficult to relate. Number three is, I do try to be interested in what they're interested in, but I have a lot of phobias too. I don't like scary stuff like horror films or serious action films, except for superhero movies. I prefer action animated documentary nature films. I also don't like amusement parks or picky eaters <laughs> because I am a foodie. So you see, it's really hard to find, to find someone on my own. That is why I was really excited when I was approached by Keanu Cleary, the producer of Love on the Spectrum US, and he said that the show would help me find a date. And I've also been, I've also been approached to different reality shows. So they were never the right fit for me because they didn't treat people on the spectrum as individuals, only points of drama. From watching Love on the Spectrum, the original Australian version, I felt that Kean's approach was authentic and treated people with autism with respect. Additionally, I felt I had a story to tell about my personal experience being a person on the spectrum, a mentor, and hopefully a role model to others on the spectrum. And that's the story. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that's a, that is... Thank you, Danny. I think... Um... There's some of those lessons in there apply to all of us. Uh, finding your purpose and you know, not letting failure stand in your way. You're an example to everybody, not just people living um, mm. on the spectrum. Thank you for that. No and problem. For the insight into uh, your decision making. There's a, quite a pile of frogs I saw there. Um, <laughs> Jennifer, um, you play an important role in the show in helping, uh, you know, preparing the participants. Mm. Uh, to go on these dates and have you know, the, the social interaction. I'm, I'm pretty sure I could have done with some advice myself. <laughs> Couldn't we all? When I was a teenager, there was uh, a number of mistakes. But anyway, that's not about me. Um, <laughs> what, what have been some of the lessons you've learned you know, through, through doing that, and being, being that relationship coach and, and helping people prepare uh, for, 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 these, for, these, um, for these dates? Right. So... Uh a little echoey, I think. Um, sorry, that's sensitive ears because I'm on the spectrum. So, um, Love on the Spectrum, as Danny said, is a show that is incredibly different. It is respectful. It is authentic. It's very different than you know. And I said this to a couple people. It's like not The Bachelor. Um, it's not about roses and it's not about hot tubs. It's about real people looking for real relationships. Um, what's unique or special about, you know, when you say to Danny, Liam, that these are all sort of lessons for everyone, right? So one of the things I'll frequently say is that before and after everything else, we are all on the human spectrum. And nothing that is pertinent to those of us who are on the spectrum is not pertinent to everyone. It's life, just like everyone is living, but maybe with the volume turned up, right? So those of you who have family members who are on the spectrum, you, you probably know that already, and you'll see that, that if we're defined by deficiencies, which is generally how it goes about, right, then that is a terribly tragic experience. It's depressing, it's sad, you're literally taking off things that are wrong with someone you love in a way that, you know, it has to be, is this always a problem, is it constantly? It, it's it's heart-wrenching, right? 
it's why so many people will say to me, well, you can't possibly be on the spectrum. You don't sound it, you don't look it, right? Um, there is no such thing as looking or sounding autistic. There's just not. Um, it's, just, there's, it's not a monolith. It's the same as saying you don't look or sound female or male. That doesn't make any sense, right? We're, again, on the human spectrum. But if we were to define autism by the strengths that come along rather than by the deficiencies or challenges, I think you'd find pretty quickly that, oh yeah, she does fit the bill. Um, it's funny, when we were preparing for this, Liam said, you know, are you gonna be okay with sort of speaking in the moment? I said, oh yeah, I don't mind the extemporaneous, you know, conversation. He's like, okay, I'll be looking that up in the, you know, in the source. I'm a word nerd and that's part of my autism, right? So. Danny was talking about her educational background. I'll kind of just go there for a second. I went to Brown and Columbia. Academics were my strong point. Um, and I was a college cheerleader and the social chair for my sorority. Things that don't sound, typically I realized this, autistic. But I can also tell you that, you know, there was a time in my life when I asked my mom or I wrote to Santa asking for a friend for Christmas. You know, um, or, and unfortunately there is um, an epidemic among women specifically and girls on the spectrum um, of eating disorders. That is something that I have dealt with um, throughout my life and really in paralyzing ways, as well as, again, unfortunately, um, being in abusive or unhealthy relationships. These are things that are pervasive to those of us on the spectrum because, well, there's a whole lot of reasons that we can go into that later, but some of those are the reasons that I wanted to make sure that I could be a positive influence um, on the show and the real lives that were gonna be affected and from people around the world who are gonna be watching the show. One of the things that I've learned, I do a lot of coaching as well right now. Um, and what I see over and over, if you were to ask people, if I were to ask any one of you, right? Um, if you asked a child, what makes a good parent? And that child said, a good parent is someone who doesn't hit me, doesn't leave me alone, um, doesn't let me go hungry we would probably all assume pretty quickly that that child is defining through a negative because that's what he or she has experienced, right? Well, the same is the case. If I were to ask most of you, if you're neurotypical, that is, what makes a good friend? You probably could give me two or three, maybe four, five, six, seven, really great you know, pivot points as to what makes someone worth having in your life. Well, even the concept of having or worth having in your life can be foreign to a lot of people on the, on, uh, on the spectrum. The idea that you can positively define what a friend is, is unique and difficult to a lot of people on the spectrum because quite frankly, they haven't had enough. They haven't had enough positive, real friendships during their lifetimes to be able to define what it is to have a a friend. Recently, I was working with one client and I asked him, you know, so um, tell me, tell me what do you think makes a good friend? And the answer was, he doesn't steal from me or um, lie to me. That was it. I love that, your insight. Oh, thank you, honey. This is, and, and you'll see this, like co actual collaboration. Um, that's, that was another part of the, I think, the show that was so special. So to the, what was the biggest lesson and advice? Exactly that, that before, you know, yes, I could teach communication. Can I ask you one more time, just who, who's seen the show? Um, yes, okay, so like half, yeah. Um, one of the things I did with one of the participants was that when we were meeting for the first time, she was um, real chatty, which is, you know, something I don't relate to at all. Um, <laughs> um, but, but in such a way that it was coming off as interviewee, right? And we don't want, that's not gonna go so great in, in a date or any kind of conversation. So what I did with her is I sat her down with, a ping pong, with some ping pong balls. 
And I rolled a bunch of ping pong balls at her. I said, what's your favorite color? What do you like to do for fun? What do you like, you know, um, what's your dog's name, blah, blah, blah. And eventually she kind of grabbed them and stopped and said, that's a lot of questions. And I said, yeah, it sure is. Let's try something different. I took a ball, I rolled it to her, and I said, so, you know, what do you like to do for fun? And she answered. And then I said, roll it back. And she rolled it back and asked me a question. And then I answered it and rolled it back. And a minute or two goes by, and I said to her, Abby, you just had a conversation. And she just went, oh, it was the greatest. And, you know, I said, can I shake your hand, please? Because it's just these little moments, especially if, they're, if we have concrete learning, it's a way to get past the, the nuance and the noise. So to me, the biggest lesson is, and I think for all of us, right, that the underlying skills that have to do with love on the spectrum, that is the human spectrum, is that it all boils down to, you know, they talk about it's not the wedding, it's the marriage, it's not the date, it's the relationship. And so being able to learn how to have friendships um, so that you can establish and maintain healthy love interests. And there's no reason that anybody on the spectrum can't have, have that. I've, you know, I'm married, I've got three kids. Um, life is absolutely possible in whatever way you want it to be. So. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, Jenna. Oh, thank you. Thank, thank, thank you, Jennifer, for showing up and uh, being so authentic and real with us and sharing your insights. Thank <laughs> you. And, and thank you for not using too many long words as well. I try. So I, <laughs> I, I, I know what you're talking about. Danny, uh, it, was, it was apparent you know, in your first answer that, and, uh, and on the show that animation is a really important part of your life and you have a real passion for it. How are you using animation today to help and support the ASD community? So that is a really good question. Um, my love of animation has helped me learn how to express myself. In fact, I was animated before I was speaking. I was doing stop motion like at age five. But first, by watching the VHS. Does anybody remember about the VHSs? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. <laughs> We're dating ourselves, but yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm aging myself. <laughs> I am not as young as you look, as, <clears throat> I'm not as young as I look. <laughs> I would play, stop, rewind, play, stop, rewind, and I discovered that it was moving pictures. So yeah, I took the camera and my plush toys, and then I would pose them, take a picture, move them a little bit, take another picture, move them again, and so on and so forth. Then I would immediately beg my family to develop the film so I can flip the pictures to the motion. So yeah, I was doing stop motion before I realized I was doing animation. My family, my family used animation as a way to reach me rather than taking it away because I was only interested in animation and stories, not anything else. Animation has helped me be who I am today, not only professionally, but personally. For example, many people with autism, like many people with autism, I had a hard time understanding people's facial expressions. When I was young, I wouldn't do eye contact with my family. I don't like doing eye contact because it used to frighten me as a kid, much to my family's concern. But when the TV would turn on to play my favorite cartoons, I joyfully ran to the TV. Cartoons, Cartoons that I have here, cartoons fascinated me and made me feel comfortable because 
Their faces are easier to look at compared to the uncanny faces of real people. The colors, the personalities, and the diversity of shapes and the sizes of each character made me feel comfortable. But best of all, their face emotions help me relate, especially to people. I can tell if they're sad or happy by the color schemes and their exaggerated expressions. The cartoons that I loved growing up has helped me understand people's facial expressions and body language because they are vital ways of communication. I realized that there is a correlation with animated stories and people. This is one. This is one of the ways that animation has helped me through my journey growing up as a person with autism. So, how does this help? So, there's me teaching animation. In my classes, I teach my students how to turn their passion in animation into a career. Just like I did growing up, learning from animation. Not only it is about the twelve principles of animation and bringing the characters to life, and stories to life, but also about finding what makes and finding what different animation job may fit into their passion. Because there are many different areas of animation, not just animating. Some are into screenplay writing. Some are storyboard artists. Some like to do voice acting, some do visual development, and others like editing, just like I do, bringing all the clips together. I have many students that had that I helped turn their passion into job skills, and I am very proud of them. For example, on as you can see on your left, one of my students from this from my Saturday animation workshop. Zoe Ramos was doing an animated short based on her speech assignment classes of the same name, the Indiana Cheese Muncher. And <laughs> it's a funny name. And in the beginning, she was really shy. Over the next two years, she became confident enough to present her animated short at San Diego Comic Con with my help, in front of a live audience. Wow. <laughs> Zoe has been my student for several years, and now she's working on a couple of animation projects in-house at my company, Danimation. Another example on your right is Phoebe Clark. In 2019, she was one of our students from our in-person Danimation UK and camp at the University of Plymouth. After she has taken several one-on-one -on -one online classes with us in 2020. She became so confident that she is now one of our assistants at Danimation, teaching animation at our UK branch. Over time, I see my students' growth and development, and how much they are able to accomplish. And nothing makes me more proud than the than to see my students flourish. Wow! Thank you. Danny, you you are an inspiration. I、uh, know、uh, to a lot of people there, you're leading and showing the way and、uh, speaking life into so many,、uh, giving these young people a, a route.、Uh, so thank you. That's a thank you. Thank you, Cher.、Um, Jennifer, how does a show like Love on the Spectrum? How does it help the ASD community,、uh, in, in your opinion? And, and what are what what are some of the, what's the positive outcomes that you've seen?、Mm -hmm. From you know that portrayal, I think it's a very kind portrayal, gentle portrayal of that community. I concur.、Um, you know, I love the fact that 
we can laugh with and at ourselves a little bit. And I think there's much to be said with, for that. Um, I think the best outcomes that I've, that I've seen, that I can discern, are that, again, to that on the human spectrum, I think our humanity was reaffirmed. Um, one of the things that, it, even in the trailer, that they, that they caught me saying was that, you know, of course, everybody on the human spectrum wants to be loved. We want respect. We want friendship. Most of all, what we want is to feel like we belong somewhere. And that, I think, is accomplished in a beautiful way on this show. You know, um, I think that also, so one of the parts of being on the spectrum is that we have these special interests, right? These passions, right? Obviously, can we guess what Danny's might be, um, <laughs> right? But and I know we'll talk a little bit later about my own late diagnosis, um, but special interests are really the way that, that I kind of found out even that I was on the spectrum. And I think one of the beautiful things that the, where our passions lie, I mean, er, for most of you, I would assume, um, certainly this was the case in, in my life, you know, you don't set out to be the most successful this, that, or the other thing. You sort of discover yourself along the way. And you find yourself, when you find that natural groove, you uh, just inherently succeed. It becomes the most natural thing in the world. Well, that's the same thing. Um, and so watching the people on the show develop and find love through their own special interests. I mean, that's the way to meet someone anyway, right? If you share a passion. But so to see that and to see that genuinely in a real way, um, people with varying levels of needs, I like to use the word um, more or less obviously in need of support. Um, because it's important to understand that someone who looks like they don't need a whole lot of support, that's actually, um, you'll find that in, in what would be informally, like when I was diagnosed as Asperger's, um, now under the autism umbrella, and I think it's a good thing, um, you know, there are actually the highest rates of um, professional discrepancy and depression and anxiety um, because it's, it goes unseen and we're masking so often, especially, especially among women. Um, but Seeing that, um, and then obviously with somebody who looks like they may be in great need, um, they then end up being shortchanged and not believed in as much, and that's awful too. So when you kind of put it all together and you can see that um, the respect, the humanity, the um, I think the, the friendships that have come out of the show as well, um, genuinely, you know, I genuinely enjoy Danny's company. I genuinely enjoy, if you've seen the show, Sabode. Um, they are good families, good people, and I think that there is such a community here. It's been a wonderful thing to see developing even here. Um, but that it makes me proud. It makes me proud to be part of it. It makes me proud to be part of the spectrum. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, um, I, one of the things that struck me about the show is the it captures a little bit. Sometimes they interview the parents, and the, one yes. of the comments that I, they get is they say that um, you don't understand the journey yeah. we've been on to get here. Right. You know, and you you meet these people where they're at and not knowing that journey. Um, and for me, that was really powerful as well. Seeing that uh, the you know the, the the how the family was really important to support some of those people. So that was an important thing. Um, I was going to ask you another question about that, um, and I've just forgotten. That. You're 100 percent right, though. If I can just say, yeah. yeah, just tag on, yeah, 100 percent right. I mean, truly, if you are a member of a family that that has somebody on the spectrum, 
Um, you have no idea the profound impact that you have on his or her or their lives. Um, truthfully, it's the little moments. It's the it's the smile I gotcha. You know, it's the showing up um, and and supporting them in the band concert that's super loud and you can't believe that you can't believe that your kid's playing in because how could you be sensory sensitive but also be playing in the band? It makes sense if you're the one controlling the sound. By the way, that's how. Um, but if you, the more you learn, the more you are able to articulate and speak the language, have a little bit of translation. You are so important. Don't ever ever doubt that. And it's okay if you think you're making mistakes. You're still showing up. I know I was going to ask you, you know, the show is about, you know, love on the spectrum and finding love. We never really find out if anyone has success in that. Are you allowed to share if there's any success sure, stories in that sure. space? Abby, the gal that I was talking about in the beginning um, with the rolling of the ping pong balls, um, Abby is still with David, who she met on the show. And so this is now, you know, we filmed a year and a half ago. Oh, yes. That sounds like, right? Yeah. Um, Sabode and Rachel, um, just they were together for over a year. They've only just recently decided that they're better off as friends. Um, but those were, you know, coming out of the show to have two. And I can still consider over a year relationship to be a successful relationship for folks who had never even been on a date before. Um, so coming out of it, those two, you know, were successful. And I think that's a pretty high percentage, honestly, if you were looking at some you know, dating show. I think we did the real thing pretty well, too. And I did happen to work with both of them, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a good endorsement. So, Jennifer, you mentioned earlier you, know, you had a late diagnosis. Um, and, you know, a lot of the data suggests that uh, the girls are underdiagnosed. Um, so what what was it like, you know, prior to the being diagnosed? And did, did a, how did the diagnosis change your perception of yourself? So I think diagnosis, especially if you're an adult, and, and I was diagnosed 10 years ago. So I was, you know, 22 at the time. No, no, I was, I was 35. Um, you know, I think for me and for a lot of folks, like my husband was diagnosed. He always says, I was diagnosed later. That's because I helped him get diagnosed. Um, yes, we're an overachieving family. Also, my three children are on the spectrum. So um, we really do it. Um, it's a lot like if you're working a Sudoku puzzle, or did I say that right, Sudoku? Sudoku, right? Yeah, I get that messed up every time because uh, I'm the word puzzle person, not the numbers, right? So where you're doing a crossword and you're just stuck and you cannot figure out what the heck the stinking answer is, right? And then all of a sudden you just turn because you're done with it and you're like, all right, I'm going to just look at the answer and there it is. You know, oh, it was there all the time. That's what it's like. It's, it's the connecting of the dots that were always there that didn't quite make sense. Growing up, I was told, um, and my mom and dad were told uh, that I was too smart for my own good, which I don't even understand what that means, right? Like, and I used, and I've said before, if I were a boy, would they have said that? Just, it's just a question, I don't know, but I don't understand what that means, right? See, some people are laughing, it's funny, uh, <laughs> and, but not. Um, but that being said, there are a lot of smart people, right? And the challenges that I had making and keeping friends, that was different. Back in the day, that wasn't something that was talked about in terms of autism, uh, especially not in terms of girls, but it, it wouldn't, unless you were classically diagnosable, right? That's not something that was, that was relevant. For me, finding out at 35, and I finding out, so my daughter, who was um, seven at the time, and then I had, so I had a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. Um, and my daughter was diagnosed, then my son was diagnosed, then their dad was diagnosed. 
And then came me, and then the last one, which I always say, thank God, because if he were neurotypical, I don't know what I would have done. I wouldn't know how to parent him. Um, but for me, it was a matter of, if I can give this analogy, because I speak in metaphor. If, all right, you've got a tumbler here. Can I ask you to hold your tumbler up right there? Like your, your coffee coffee cup? Okay, fabulous. All right, could somebody hold up a, gla a clear glass of water? Thank you so very much. And um, perhaps a paper cup, if anyone's got like a perfect, thank you, Chris. <laughs> all right, all of you have beverages. Before your arms get tired, you can put them down. But, right, all of you have beverages. Why might you have a beverage? Because you're thirsty, right? You have, a, you have a need. In Spanish, you would actually ha say, I have thirst. Tengo sed, right? You would actually say, I have thirst. You have a need. Well, it's what you, you are all fulfilling that need in different ways. They don't look alike. Some are opaque, some are transparent, some are, maybe it would be translucent, whatever the heck, and you might have different beverages in there too, but you're all fulfilling the same need. So people on the spectrum are fulfilling the same needs that who, those who are neurotypical also fill, just in sometimes different ways that look differently. And the same thing goes for girls and boys. And what I had to do was I had to sort of go through the, the profile of what it looks like, if you will, to be on the spectrum and say what needs are being fulfilled. For instance, you know, the one about like lining up, there's the question about lining up your toys and your, specifically would say your cars and trucks and trains. First of all, just a thing, traffic. Does it not go in lines? I'm just asking. But besides that, you know, when Danny was talking, it just, I had never heard that before, but she was talking about making the early stop motion with her, her toys. So what I used to do is, is I would make tableau, make little displays of my Barbies and take pictures of them and make their wedding albums instead of maybe interacting with them and with somebody else. So I recreate a news story. So there were different ways of fulfilling the same need. No, I didn't line things up, but I still was creating something and rather than interacting with it, if that kind of makes sense. So what I had to do was I had to go to the psychologist that I had been working with regarding my kids and say, I think we got a, we got a little connection here. I think I see what the genetic connection might be. My father had recently passed away. I, the man was like a complete absent-minded professor, absolutely brilliant international litigator and you know, constantly was rocking back and forth. And on numerous occasions, like at the same event, he might have accidentally gone into the women's room because he just wasn't, he was so socially anxious. You know, he just wasn't even paying attention to where he was going. But that being said, I had to go in and say, I think I'm the genetic link. Here's what I've got. What do you think? And the answer was, that makes a lot of sense. That was, like I said, 10 years ago. Everything changed in better, better beautiful ways. You know, in the last 10 years, I've written 10 books, um, including, they're in seven, no, eight languages now. Um, Wall Street Times, uh, Wall Street Times, uh, Wall Street Journal bestsellers. Um, they're, you know, in, like I said, various languages. There are audiobooks as well, which I got to record, which was super fun. Um, done the TV show. I've had the honor of speaking at the White House, the, the NIH. Um, uh, I, uh, on behalf of ASA, I'm on the, the Council of Autistic Advisors and have worked um, with uh, the Congressional Research Medical uh, programs from the autism, basically help decide where Congress's money is going when it comes to autism. Um, and I get to work with people one-on-one -on -one and help make their lives better. It's cool stuff. None of this would have happened. None of it would have happened if I weren't diagnosed, right? But 
because my passion and writing could come in handy and I could be a translator, everything changed. And it's the best, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, sorry, honey, I love you. Uh, but, but, it's, but, it's right, but it's right up there, it really is. Thank you.